chapter 20. And we've been in a series for a few weeks now talking about vision, about having a vision for our life. Uh, first week we talked just about the importance of a vision. It's the passion. It's why you get up in the morning. Uh, second week we talked about uh, how God has fashioned each one of us uniquely for the ministry and mission he has for us, how he shaped us with spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences so that we can uh, minister to the body of Christ and, of course, uh, be a part of his mission in the world. Last week, we talked about having two sets of eyes. You know, there's a practical side of life, physical eyes, and then you've got to have spiritual eyes. If you're going to have a vision, there are going to be obstacles. And how many know you're going to want to quit somewhere along the way? You've got to have spiritual eyes. You've got to know that there are more with us than against us. You, You've got to understand that God's word is a foundation. It's a rock for us in our life. And so there's that spiritual vision that we have to have in order to carry out, uh, you know, what God's doing in our life. This morning, I'm going to talk about our church's vision a little bit, if I could. And I'm hoping that part of your vision includes what God is doing in the world today. Because God is at work through his church. How many know that Jesus loves his church? I, you know, I don't know if that's a popular concept or not, but the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. How many thinks Jesus loves his bride? And, and so who we are as a, as a collective called out people, there's something about this community. See, church is not an event you attend. It's a family you belong to. We're brothers and sisters, <laughs> sons and daughters of the living God. And the, the community of church it's the body of Christ, and Jesus loves his church, and he's at work in the world today through his church. And so I wanted to be able to talk about that a little bit. In fact, I think I'm going to start with a prayer. So Jesus, this morning, um, Lord, there's so much diversity in this room. Uh, in regard to just our own lives and our own journey of faith, there's diversity in regard to how we think about this thing called the church but Lord, there is one body, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one Lord, one God and Father, over all, through all, and in all. And somehow, Lord, would you take the diversity that's here today and give us the mind of Christ? We thank you for that. Thank you for your love and your presence. In Jesus' name, could we all say amen together? So how many of you have been on a cruise? Maybe you've gone to Alaska, maybe you've gone uh, Mediterranean or Mexico, uh, hopefully not to China recently. <laughs> you know, a, a, a cruise ship is different than a battleship. Could, could anyone say amen? To, that's different, okay? On a battleship, you're on a mission. Okay? Everyone has a job. There's a certain amount of training for, for every assignment, for, for, for every position. The success of the mission of a battleship requires and depends on the part that every person plays. Now, on a cruise ship, uh, a little bit different. On a cruise ship, there are a few people working their tail off so that a, few, a lot of people can uh, relax and enjoy the ride. And, and so, which one of them describes the church to you? A cruise ship? <laughs> Or a battleship. It's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? 
Um, you know, John 17, I ask you to turn to John 20, but you know me. I'm going to throw a few scriptures out there before we get there. So John 17, verse 17, just a couple of chapters ahead if you care. Uh, it's the night before Jesus was crucified, and this is Jesus' prayer. He prays, prays for his disciples, and, and he prays for all of those who will believe as a result of their faith and their witness. That's every believer throughout all generations. That's you and me this morning, okay? So he's praying for us. And here's what he says. He says, Father, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Do you know that you and I have the greatest privilege ever in the history of the world? We get to carry on the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. I would not step down for what I do to be the president of the United States. Because frankly, what I do matters. And to be honest, what they do might influence a, a couple of generations, but it will not influence eternity. The battle is not over who will be president. The battle is over whether or not people will believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the battle in the world. That's the spiritual battle. And, of course, the spirit of darkness in the world is at work blinding the eyes, the Bible says, to those who, who, who don't believe. And you know, I don't know where you're at today in that journey, but uh, there, there is a battle in regard to, to faith. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 21 through 22, uh, Jesus, by the way, three days later now, has risen from the dead. And he appears to his disciples. They're terrified. They're hiding in the upper room. But Jesus is excited. <laughs> because remember on the cross he said, it is finished. I've finished my mission. Now I'm sending you. And so here in John 20, verse 21 through 22, he says, as the Father has sent me, he's speaking to his disciples now, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I love to read about Jesus' ministry. Don't you love how he loved people? I mean, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, okay? He wasn't interested in politics, wasn't interested in, you know, what was going on with the Pharisees or the religious leaders. He cared about people. He came to love people. He came to encourage people. He came to teach people. He came to heal people. One of the most moving stories for me when I read through the Gospels uh, is in Luke chapter 7, and it takes place just outside a little city called Nain, N-A-I-N, okay? And, uh, you know, Jesus got his disciples and a crowd following him as he did often. He comes up to the uh, outskirts of this little city called Nain, and there's a funeral procession. There's this young teenage boy being carried out on a, it's called a briar, but basically on a cot, to be uh, thrown in a box and buried in the ground. He's dead. It's interesting. In Luke chapter 7, it mentions some interesting details. It says, He's the only son of a woman who is a widow. Her husband has died. 
And when Jesus learns about the situation, says he was moved with compassion. He walked up to the funeral procession. He stopped it. He told the woman, stop weeping. He took the boy by the hand and he raised him from the dead and gave him back to his mom. Talk about wrecking a celebration of life service. <laughs> Why the preacher didn't get to give his sermon or anything. <clears throat> How do you know God loves people? I mean, when you read the Gospels over and over again, Jesus was moved with compassion. He, he was moved with compassion to heal the lame. It says he was moved with compassion to heal those with blind eyes. He was moved with compassion uh, to, to cleanse the lepers. See, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I really believe one of the main things that you and I need to have if we're going to fulfill our mission on the earth that Jesus has given us is simply to have compassion, not judgment, but to have, doesn't mean we're not discerning. I'm not stupid, okay? <laughs> doesn't mean we're not discerning, but we do have to have compassion on the world we're living in, in today. Could someone say amen to that? We really need to have compassion. God loves people. He sympathizes with their pain. There are so many times in Jesus' ministry when he was moved to heal simply because he cared. See, I really believe the church is not a cruise ship. I believe it's a battleship. I believe we have a, a mission. There's things for us to accomplish. And there's things that Jesus wants to do in people's lives. How many believe he came to set the captives free? He, he came to deliver people from addictive behaviors and, and patterns that are genuinely self-destructive. They're not just some of us here in the room, but in our community and around the world, there are so many people that are unhappy with their lives because they're trapped with negative thought lives and, and negative patterns. They behave a way that's terribly self-condemning and terribly self-defeating. And they want to be free, but they don't know how to be free. And when they think of Christianity, all they think of is rules. They don't understand the power of the love of God and the power of the gospel. Jesus came to demonstrate the power of God's love and the power of the gospel. And that's the mission he's given us in the world. So he said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How many believe we can't do it without him? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, where does our ministry start? How do we get started? Well, Mother Teresa said, begin with the face in front of you. So let's just start there, okay? Let's begin with the face in front of you. Do you know there are people who visit church every week that don't know him yet? don't know Jesus yet. They, they, they maybe have heard about him. Maybe a friend has invited them. But there are people that you set by every week who have never experienced God's love. They've never really experienced how much he loves them in their heart. So let's start there. Let's begin with the face in, in front of you. Have, you. have you ever thought about what it feels like to visit church for the first time? I don't know if any of you remember uh, what that was like when you started, but 
You know, you're sitting by people you don't know, singing songs you don't know, listening to some guy up front talk about things you don't understand, like the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross. I mean, church is weird, isn't it? It's really weird. I, the first time I was a part of a group like this in college at the Student Union at the University of Oregon, and I thought, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. People had their hands raised worshiping Jesus. They had their eyes closed. I'd never been in a setting like that. And then, to scare me to death, the guy who's leading says, why don't you turn and look at the person next to you, and let's sing this song. Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. I have this man looking me in the eyes. He's a nice-looking guy. I'm so thankful, you know. But you know, the part that really bothered me, he's singing, yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. He believed it. I could see in his eyes. Jesus was not a stained glass window that he grew up with in church. He believed what he was singing. I could see it in his eyes. And I felt the presence of God. There was something about it. It was weird. It was way out of my box. But it was real. And I couldn't deny that. Some of you, some of you remember Danny Miles, uh, coach of uh, the OIT uh, basketball team. What do you have? A thousand, more than a thousand wins. Um, I asked him if I could share this story. You know, the first time Danny visited our church about 17 years ago, um, first time he visited our church, he came to our church, by the way, because of Steve Arnold and his witness. He said, if a church, if, if Steve's welcome, if, it's, if, it, if he's loved by a church, I want to go there. So he came to our church. And um, when he visited that first Sunday, <laughs> we had a gal that was... Uh, a little passionate and uh, for some reason that Sunday she brought a tambourine and so you know say like this aisle right here we, we're in a small room the older building was really small 150 people and you know you could you had to open the window to fit and uh, she started dancing down the aisle and and Danny was <laughs> sitting right over here and he thought oh my goodness what, what have I got involved in. He just was wondering where we're going to bring the snakes out, you know, the snake handlers. And uh, start swinging from the chandeliers. Now, I was leading worship that morning, so, you know, and of course the ushers were terrified. What do we do? And, you know, I, I talked to her leader. I said, you know, that kind of draws attention away and a little bit of a distraction. But anyway, I mean, at home, you go for it, girl. But right here, it's just, it's not... Probably not going to work that well. Now, some of you may not agree with that, but that's okay. There are a lot of churches. But anyway. <laughs> doesn't mean I don't love passion. Don't, doesn't mean I don't like a hallelujah. Let me know you're alive every now and then. It, say an amen or something. But, but uh, that was just not who we were. And, and he was really nervous. But you know what? He came back. Because there was something there. It, it says in John 13, 35, they will know you are Christians by your love one to another. 
And there's something about a place like this with all this diversity, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different, you know, social, economic, all those ways that we judge and categorize people. There's something about when just people come and they're vulnerable and they're honest and they're transparent and the Holy Spirit visits in power. By the way, when, when Caleb was leading us this morning and he started to open up and talk about his desire for us to encounter God's presence. I don't know about you. I appreciated that so much because I was ready <laughs> when he shared that. That's where I wanted to go. There's something about the presence of God that, that you can't deny. And he came back. And a year later, of course, he got saved, received Jesus, got baptized. And never forget on his 10-year salvation anniversary a couple years ago, he came pulling up in the parking lot. Pastor, I just got to tell you, I'm so thankful for how much my life has changed because of Jesus. Jesus is in the life-changing business. Amen? And I'm so thankful. Uh, we start with the person in front of us. And our first job in fulfilling the mission that God has for us as a church or as a team, so to speak, is, is, is simply to care for people. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in my life is the harvest comes when you least expect it. See, when you cross paths with people, it's not an accident. The harvest comes when people, when you least expect it. And all of a sudden, you have one of those divine moments where God is working. So we fulfill our, our vision together simply by caring for one another, number one. Number two, by praying. Super important because... Satan has done such a masterful job of developing arguments in people's mind against God, against faith, skepticism. Satan is at work. We think our thoughts are our thoughts, and I want to tell you, the thoughts that are a part of our culture today, thoughts that you experience yourself, they're part of demonic strategies to defeat your faith before you get started trying to rob your faith, trying to rob your joy, trying to plant in you anxiety that makes you someone that can't let go of control and trust God with your future. That's all part of Satan's strategy. It may have been a father or a husband or a boyfriend you couldn't trust. And now that very wound of, of, of antitrust is the Satan thing that Satan feeds on to keep you from trusting him or trusting the church or trusting other people. And yet God's presence is in his church. Jesus said where two or more are gathered in his name, he's there. His presence comes to heal and to love and to courage and to change. God has a plan for your life. It's a good plan because he loves you. And yet Satan says, you can't trust God. You certainly can't trust Christians. They're bigoted and, and they're dogmatic and, yeah, about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he didn't leave a lot of options there. So we are dogmatic about that. But all of us who really know Jesus realize how much we need him, how desperate we are for him, and how much we need his love. There's no special people in this room. All the ground at the cross is level. God is no respecter of persons. We all need Jesus Christ. Could someone say amen? 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. We don't argue people into the kingdom of God. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not merely human. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take thought, uh, every captive thought to obey Christ. So we live in a spiritual world and the thoughts that people are struggling with or, or the thoughts that have built a case against God within their soul, an argument, that word argument. We destroy arguments. It's, it's the Greek word logisimai. And it has to do with these logical arguments that are built up within people's soul that produce unbelief. They, they, they don't want to trust. They don't want to believe that God loves them so much. He made them special. That he has a unique plan for their life. That a man named Jesus would literally die for them and pay their penalty for their sin. I mean, all these little things that are so basic to Christianity and there are legisimi, there are arguments against it in our world today. And and uh, sometimes they take root within our soul and we just can't open up and trust and we can't experience the Holy Spirit and his power in our life. We don't have the power for people to get saved. All we can do is pray. We're simply witnesses. We simply care. We can simply tell people that we know Jesus is real. We're a witness to the resurrection. Number three, a third thing, to fulfill our mission uh, in the world not only do we care, not only do we pray, number three, you've got to make time. I know that's the thing we don't have any of. But coming to Jesus is a process for people. It takes time. You know, 80% of people who are Christians today will say they made a decision for Christ because a friend or a family member took the time. They prayed with me. They shared with me. They loved me where I was at. And they wouldn't give up on me. And as a result, they finally made a decision to come to Christ. And Acts uh, 26 is a, a, a great verse in Acts 26, verse 28. Paul is, is sharing with a man named King Agrippa. He was a ruler over Judea. And uh, Paul had a chance. He'd been arrested for the gospel. He had a chance to tell King Agrippa his testimony. King Agrippa was well aware of who Paul was. He was well aware of Jewish history. He was well aware of Jesus' ministry. He was well aware of what God had done through the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. He, 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 he didn't live on an island somewhere. He was ruling over this region. So he was well aware. And so when the Apostle Parr starts out, he says, You know me. You know how zealous I was as a Pharisee. How I kept the law so carefully. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus uh, in the story that's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And of course, rocked his world, changed his life. Paul was arresting Christians and throwing them in jail. When Jesus appeared to him, he said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, that was a revelation moment for Paul. He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And, of course, he, uh, Jesus laid out a plan that he had for Paul's life. After uh, Paul, of course, got saved, he ended up spending his life sharing the gospel with people around the world. And uh, Paul tells King Agrippa all these things. In verse 28, <laughs> King Agrippa says, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? 
And Paul said, whether short or long, I just want everyone to experience what I've experienced. I want everyone to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to share Jesus with their life because that is what life is all about. And by the way, that is our mission as a church. That's our goal. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to love Jesus. A lot of people say they know Jesus. I don't think they love him. There's a difference when you fall in love with Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added. And there's something about falling in love with him that he becomes first and first place within our soul. We want people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to share Jesus with, with their life. But, you know, to make that transformation, it's not easy. I mean, a lot of times people have spent their whole life building an argument against God in their mind. That, that logismi, that spiritual attack. We think they're just our thoughts. They're a spiritual battle. And it's built up a wall of unbelief in our soul. In order to come to Jesus, you've got to swallow your pride. You've got to admit that you were wrong. You've got to be willing to confess your sin. It, it's, it's not easy, and so it, it takes time, and it sure helps when people make the time to be there, to care, and to love, and to pray. And number four, uh, fulfilling our mission, we've got to be prepared when the opportunity comes for us to share. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 uh, Peter says, be prepared to give an account of the hope that is in you. Billy Graham, who we all admire uh, and, of course, love. He passed away a couple years ago now. Uh, but he took a survey in his ministry uh, what, and asked this question. What is the greatest hindrance to witnessing? 9%, I'll put these statistics up. It's interesting to me. 9% said they were too busy. Okay, 12% said they weren't living their faith, therefore they were really uncomfortable uh, sharing their faith. 28% said they were afraid, afraid of how people would react. 51% said they weren't prepared. A lot of those people sat in church week after week. And yet they, didn't, they said they didn't feel prepared. They didn't know enough. Didn't have the right information. You don't need a Bible college education to share Jesus with people. Remember the demoniac guy who was living out in the tombs that Jesus delivered a legion of demons from him? Remember that story? He's living out of the tomb, trying to kill himself, you know, gnashing himself with blood everywhere. You know, the guy was an animal, literally. He had a legion of demons, which is several hundred, if not more than a thousand soldiers. So he had quite a host of demonic influence within his soul. Jesus delivered him. He was miraculously delivered and in his right mind. And, um, you know, he, when Jesus started to leave, he wanted to follow. And Jesus said, no, don't follow me. Uh, he said, go tell. Go tell where you're from the good things that God has done for you. You know what we do in church? In church, we would say, well, you need to take class 101. And, and you need to take witnessing 405. And, and we'd try to give them an education so they, they could go out and minister. Jesus delivered him and said, now go tell people the good things that God has done for you. I think he grew more from sharing his faith than he did from sitting in class. I, I think a lot of times, and I may be guilty of this, but I think church becomes a school. 
that people will never graduate from. We, we keep hearing sermons, but we never graduate and, and get involved. And I don't want to be critical of you. I'm critical of me. I've got the challenge just like you do. I'll tell you what, sharing your faith in church is like shooting ducks on a pond. Okay, that's fishing in a barrel, okay? This is not sharing my faith. I'm just up here talking, okay? But this is not out in the nitty-gritty, uh, sharing my faith. What do people need to know to get saved? Do you have any idea? Can I give you four? It's not rocket science. Number one, God loves them and has a plan for their life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That, someone needs to know that and needs to believe that. The first step of faith is to believe that God is good. Because Satan has built an argument that you can't trust God in people's souls. You have to believe that God is good. So number one, God loves you. Has a plan for your life. You're special to him. You're important. Number two, all of us have sinned and are separated from God. That is basic. We have to know that. Every person has sinned. You know, as nice as you are here today, you're a little stinking sinner. Aren't you? Yes, you are. So am I. I look good on Sunday, but I'm a stinker sometimes. Just ask my wife. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, okay? Romans 3.23. Okay, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Simple scripture, but you've got to know that. You've got to understand that every person is separated from God. Now, we have a, 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 an idea in America that God is with us. He's in all of us, and that we are all God's children. Well, that's a nice thought. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. You know, if that's true, then why did Jesus die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins? I mean, God was a fool to allow his son to die for you. See, that is not true. God does love every person. But, but Jesus said this. He said, unless a man is born again, he will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. To become a child of God... You've got to submit to God and surrender to God. You have to come to God. You have to repent and turn from your sin, which is unbelief in who the person of Jesus is, and then the lifestyle that follows. You have to repent and turn to God by putting faith in Jesus Christ. Then you can be born again. Then you become his child. So everybody has to know they're separated from God. Number three, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, whether we like this or not, sorry. Everyone, everyone is under the sentence of death. Every one of you are going to die. You're going to die. Your kids are going to die. Your parents are going to die. Every one of us are under the sentence of death. But it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death, separated from God for all eternity. So what happens after you die? Well, it depends. I mean, God loves you. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and he's calling you back. He's at work calling you back to himself. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so people have to understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins. Number four, the last one, repent. These are Jesus' words, not mine. I know you think he was a wonderful teacher. This is what he taught. Repent and believe the good news. That was his message. The, the Bible, the New Testament, summarizes Jesus' message with those words. Repent and believe the good news. <clears throat> now, I don't know where you fit in that survey, whether you're too busy, whether you're afraid, uh, not living your faith, or you don't know enough. Let me share with you a couple things that I have learned about sharing my faith. Not ducks on a pond, not you know fishing in a barrel uh, here at a funeral or, or, or maybe in a church service. I'm talking about when I'm out with people. Uh, number one, when it comes to sharing your faith, you've got to learn to recognize the nudge. Does anyone know the nudge? Okay, that little nudge that helps you recognize this is, this is a divine moment, this is an opportunity. All of a sudden, there's more to this conversation. A few years ago, I was with some men in our church. This, by the way, it's 10 years ago at least because we were in the old building doing a remodeling project. And, uh, well, we went down to Lumberman's. Well, that was a little while ago. Went down to Lumberman's to buy some materials. And the gal in the uh, checkout counter uh, as we were checking out, as, as we were talking and checking out, I got the nudge. I, I thought, something, God's doing something in her life. I don't know what it is, but I got to find out. So I looked on her name tag. Her name was Lisa. It was spelled L-Y-S-A. So I said, Lisa, thank you so much for helping us. We talked a little bit. And I just started praying for Lisa. So, so I came back a few times over the next few weeks to get more materials. Every time, if there wasn't a line, I tried to spend a little time talking to Lisa. And, you know, she knows I'm a pastor, so she, gradually she began to open up. She went to church when she was young. She's been away from God. Life's a mess right now. Marriage is not comfortable, and kids are doing terrible. All this kind of stuff. And so she starts opening up a little bit. So I'm, I'm not preachy. I'm just loving her and just listening, showing that I genuinely care. And uh, one time I think I mentioned I'd be praying for her couple couple uh, months later she showed up in church I said Lisa <laughs> so great to see you thank you so much for coming and a couple months later she received Christ got baptism about six months later her husband came to church and when her husband came the son came so now we had a family in church and a few months later husband got saved baptized son got saved baptized a couple years later her Husband suddenly died with a heart attack. I mean, just out of nowhere. She was shocked. We were shocked. Thankfully, by that time, Lisa had relationships with some of the ladies in the church to be a support. We as a church came alongside. And, you know, there's always grief with loss, but thank the Lord in 1 Thessalonians, we don't grieve as the world grieves, is what it says, Thessalonians. We have hope. And we had the hope, even though there's the loss we had the hope that he was in heaven with Jesus. And that was such a comfort. And I was, I was so thankful for that. That was one of the success stories about the nudge. Could I tell you one without success? I mean, you know, pastors, they always tell the good stuff, not the bad stuff. So uh, can, I, can I tell you one that didn't work out as well? Uh, you know, I love telling the good stories. But not every nudge I've had has been uh, received. I'll, let me put it that way. 
So I'm, two weeks ago, I'm at Home Depot, and uh, I got this stupid light fixture in my bathroom. It's got the weirdest size bulb. I can't find one. I go to Home Depot. I think I got the right size. Go home. Doesn't fit. Go back to Home Depot. I'm sitting in front of this guy. He's on a computer for 20 minutes trying to find the right size light bulb. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm an intensely patient person. <laughs> Take all the time you want. I got all day, you know. No, I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I, my wife would tell you, Patience is not my spiritual gift. But anyway, I know that's a fruit of the Spirit, but anyway, we'll talk about that later. But <clears throat> I am sitting there and, you know, having a tendency, thinking about all the things I'd like to be doing. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt the nudge. It's like the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to do something today. Wake up. And I just felt like God's doing something. I don't know what it is, but I'm here for a reason. And I hate it, but I love it. So I didn't know whether I was going to get to share with the guy on the computer or whether I was going to get to share with someone in the store. I, I didn't know, but I didn't, God was doing something. So I, I relaxed, put myself in God's hands. I said, God, what are you doing? So anyway, he finally found the bulb. I went, you know, aisle 7, section 42-8. I found the bulb. And I go to the, the checkout stand. There's a long line there. And I'm standing in the line. I turn around, and there's someone I went to high school with. I didn't remember their name, but I said, hey, my name's Scott Hines. Remember high school? Oh, yeah, Scotty. You know, <clears throat> like we were old friends, but we didn't know each other really very well. And uh, so anyway, we talked a little bit. How, how are you doing? We talked about a few friends that we both knew. Talked about a few people that had passed away. And uh, I knew that was my moment. You know, when I'm in a conversation with someone, I'm always looking looking for an opportunity to love and to care. I don't always share Jesus, but I'm looking for an opportunity to love and to care. But I, I, I sense this is my moment to witness. So I said, are you prepared for when you die? Now he thought I meant, you know, are you gonna be cremated or put in a box? So he started going that direction. I said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I, I said, do you know Jesus? Do, do you have the assurance of heaven? We're standing in the checkout line at Home Depot. Do, do you have the assurance of, of eternal life? That's not the most comfortable way for me to start witnessing to someone. But look, I only had one moment to be with that man. And I knew who he was. And I don't know whether he's going to heaven or hell. And I cared so much about whether he'd go to heaven or hell, I wasn't going to miss a moment. I was terribly uncomfortable because as soon as I brought it up, I could see that, oh, I hate you look on his face. Don't bring up Jesus now. You know what I'm saying? You've seen that look in people's eyes? I saw the look, and I didn't care. He immediately talked about, well, you know, when I was a kid, went to BBC. I said, really? That's awesome. Did you go with... Brothers and sisters, yeah, my mom, brothers and sisters. He said, I taught Sunday school once. I said, you did? Now, you're better than me, man. I'll tell you, you're awesome. And uh, I asked him, are you still following Jesus? He looked at me, you know, deer in headlights, like, Ugh. could we change the conversation? 
<clears throat> I knew he was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. But I had to ask him. I said, you know, knowing Jesus is different than going to church. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I just want to encourage you. I know you're going to probably think about this conversation when you leave. Maybe he's calling you back. Maybe. Okay, well, Dan, I'll see you again. Checked out. Went on the way. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if there'll ever be any fruit from that. There are hundreds of people that I've shared with Jesus within this community. I am so loaded, locked and loaded. I mean, I'm so ready. I'm prepared. I can share my testimony in about 30 seconds. I, you know, I've told you some of these stories, but not too long ago I was with a man in the workout center, and he said, what do you do? You know, men always talk about what they do for a living. What do you do? I said, I'm a preacher, and he almost laughed. He said, really? How, how'd you become a preacher? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> well, man stepped out in front of me, told me Jesus loved me, died on the cross for my sins. I said, I immediately realized I had a moral responsibility to a man named Jesus who died for my sins. And so I, you know, I grew up in church, but I didn't know anything about it. So I started asking questions. Once someone said, you should start reading the Bible. So I started reading the Bible. Here I am, 43 years later. Oh, that's nice. I didn't even bother to ask him what he did for a living. I just knew that the Lord opened the door and I wasn't going to miss the opportunity. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I tell my wife these stories, she says, I can't do that. I just can't. And I, that doesn't bother me at all. You know, evangelism isn't necessarily her gift. But there's so many things she does so well. You know what I'm saying? She's organization, serving, she loves people, she cares, for, she writes cards, she bakes meals. She, she, see, we, we're in a mission together. We all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. We have a different part to play, a different role. And, and the mission isn't successful without each one of us playing our part. And I'm so thankful for, for my wife's part. This week, 12 of us are going to head to Guatemala, without my wife's organization, we wouldn't get there. I mean, she's awesome. And uh, Tammy, I saw you come in. Tammy's love for kids. You know, last year, she took, what, 200 recorders, which is kind of like a plastic flute thing that kids play, like a clarinet almost, so to speak, and it's got a few holes in it. You make cool sounds. And she wanted to teach the kids how to worship. You know, these kids had never done anything with an instrument before in their life. 200 kids in the village. She raised the money and took 200 of them to La Oscarana. We're packing suitcases up in the mountains to teach these kids how to play a recorder. So appreciate her passion for Jesus and her love for kids. It's totally awesome. You know, the people that are work as nurses or in construction or or whatever. We've got a great team. We've got, I think, about 12 soccer balls were taken, and we'll be the hit for the kids. They love soccer. and You know, each one that's going, uh, it, it brings something to the table because we're all apart. We're a team together on a, on a mission, not just at La Oscarana in Guatemala, but here on Sunday morning, every Sunday. We start with the face in front of us. We care for the people who the Lord brings in here. I'm going to 
invite the worship team to come on up. And the last thing I'll say, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We can't do what we're called to do without the Holy Spirit. We need his help. We need his power. One of my favorite verses, and, and this is one of my wife's favorite verses too, in Acts, uh, the book of Acts, it's Acts 4, verse 13. Uh, and, and it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished when they saw these ordinary, unschooled men. And they took note. These men have been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit had touched their lives and empowered their lives, and they were different. They were different men than they were before. That's my prayer for all of us, that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ordinary, unschooled men and women, by the way, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit was the lifestyle of the early church. It just wasn't a Sunday morning event. It was a lifestyle. And we read about it in Acts 2 and Acts 4, Acts 5, 9, 10, 13, over and over and over and over again. The apostles and the disciples were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I don't, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled on Sunday? More importantly, are you filled on Monday? Are you filled on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a daily thing. And, you know, oftentimes when my wife and I get up in the morning, and, you know, we read separately, but we pray together. I just say, Jesus, we need you to fill us. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit starts with putting your focus on Jesus. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of his righteousness and everything will be added. So we focus on Jesus. We spend some time in worship and thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit, give thanks to God. Take your thoughts captive, all those negative things, all those anxious things, and focus on Jesus and give thanks to God and worship. And then the Word, read the Word, even if it's you know on your version app, on your phone. Just get some scripture in your mind, in your heart, and start talking with the Holy Spirit throughout your day. We need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has given us in the world today. So, why don't we stand together? What is our mission? It's to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, and to share Jesus.